without further ado, I'm going to bring Sarah, and then my son John is going to come up. Every week during our uh, message series called The Blessed Battle, um, we do a reading. Come on up, John. And our, our reading is through the Beatitudes. Uh, we just really believe in the public reading of Scripture, the corporate reading of Scripture together. And so every week we've done the Beatitudes as just one chunk, as if we were hearing Jesus say that on this, uh, as we were listeners on the Sermon on the Mount. So I'm going to have John come on over and read. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For there, theirs is in the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the are you when people insult you, persecute you, and say falsely all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah. John. Good job. Uh, well, good morning, everyone. Good to be with you. A uh, special welcome to all the friends and family who are here for uh, celebrating baptism for someone who's special to them. It's a really exciting Sunday, and we're uh, just really taking time to celebrate together. So thank you for being here. Also, a special shout out to our elementary students who are joining us for Family Sunday. We love having you guys here. Um, you're bringing just a great energy to the day. So thank you for um, being here and bringing yourselves. I'm Sarah Siders. I'm the outreach pastor here at Tallgrass at the Well. And today we're continuing our series, The Blessed Battle. This is uh, our deep dive into the Beatitudes, uh, Jesus' message in Sermon on the Mount. And uh, each week we're taking one of those Beatitudes and really digging in to understand how we can apply that, uh, that, that principle in our lives today, in the world today. And so today we are exploring the blessing of the peacemakers. From Matthew 5, 9, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Now, before we dive in, I want us to all put on our learning hats. We have our students here with us today, and they're used to learning new things, and maybe some of us have to dust that off. But um, I'm, we're going to learn a new word today. This is a Hebrew greeting that is just something that people say. This isn't even like, you know, from... Um, ancient times. This is actually still used in um, Hebrew culture and vernacular. And the greeting is mash lomech, okay? So you might be like, what did she just say? We're just going to all try this together. We're just going to experiment. I'll tell you what it means in a minute, okay? I want you to try it with me. Ready? Mash lomech. Mash lomech. Let's try it one more time. Mash lomech. Very good. Okay. This question is so cool, and it really stood out to me as I was uh, researching for this sermon. 
Mashlomech um, means how is your peace? How is your well-being? How is your shalom? And when we typically see someone that we know when we're out and about, we'll say, how are you doing? What's up, right? And it's very like, you know, thin, maybe a little bit surface. But this question cuts right to the heart of what is going on in your life. How is your peace? Oh, man. If you get asked that question, that can be a little bit uncomfortable for many of us. And so today, we can sit with that question, how is your peace? How is my peace? Even asking that to ourselves, asking that to each other. Um, so as we're doing that as we explore this deeper question of what it means to be peacemakers that are the children of God. The first thing that stands out to me every single time that Jesus is outlining these beatitudes, he's saying that those who are living in this state, this condition, this practice, there's this blessing that is imbued upon them in, as they live in that state or that condition, as they choose those things. So those who are choosing to be a peacemaker are known as a child of God. And I think that, is, that just really stands out to me because essentially what Jesus is saying is that to be a peacemaker is a DNA trait of the family of God. That's just who we are. When you get together with your family for the holidays, whether, you know, it's sometimes there's tension or whatever, but there's certain things that's like, this is just what we do. We all watch the Packers. We all eat brisket instead of turkey. We all laugh at this kind of joke. We all watch National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. This is just what we do. And in the family of God, Jesus is saying the thing that we just do, we just can't help ourselves when we are a child of God. God, we cannot help but be a peacemaker. So why is that? Why is peacemaking a core trait, not so much a value even, but a trait that, that the children of God are known for? It's because Jesus was the ultimate peacemaker. How did he make peace? Well, he walked towards the pain. He walked right into the chaos. He walked straight for the conflict. And the prophets told us exactly what to expect from him over and over and over again. I'm just gonna bring up one verse, but there were many. In Isaiah 61, he foretells how Jesus will bring this freedom and peace, and he talks about who he's going to be bringing it for. He's speaking in first person. In Isaiah 61, starting in verse one, it says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. So what we're seeing here from Jesus is not this Hollywood hero who is walking away in slow motion with an explosion in the background. He's actually, he's running straight into that fire. He's running straight into the problem and he is bringing his resolution. He's bringing his peace and restoration. And when Jesus arrived in the world, he did exactly what God said he would do. He was out there in his ministry seeing everyone who, who was overlooked. When the, that woman, he's in this crowded, crowded place walking to um, help someone who was also ill and at, in danger of dying. 
and he feels this woman with a reproductive illness touch him. And he says, who touched me? And he stops everything and finds this woman, right? He is looking for the person. He's looking for the problem. He's stopping for that one. He sees Zacchaeus up in the tree. Zacchaeus was ignored because of his career, because of his stature. And he sees him and he calls him out and he says, hey, I know that, that you don't have very many friends. You've alienated everyone in your life. I'm gonna be your friend. I'm coming to your house today. When he is in a group of people, he has compassion on them and he's feeding them and he's healing them and he's going right towards the problem. But Jesus' mission was way, way more than just being a very effective social service right? Like a one-man mobile social service. That's kind of what he's doing. Here's some food. Here's some medicine. Here's all this stuff. And it's like, well, that's cool, right? But what was Jesus really doing? What was that a type and a shadow for? What was really happening at a cosmic and supernatural level was that Jesus was reuniting people with God and people with each other, people with the earth, people with themselves. He was helping us to make peace at every single level, Ephesians 2 breaks this down in what he accomplished with his death and resurrection and explains this kind of supernatural peace that was ushered in by Jesus. So starting in verse 12, Paul says, remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. He's talking to people who were not Jewish and did not have the Hebrew tradition, didn't know God previously. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, people who were Jewish and had the history in the covenant and those who had been outside, made the two groups one, destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to restore, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Do you see what's happening? We're being reunited to God, but in, in, that, in that process, we're being reunited to each other. And this is not just people groups that have had hostilities over the years, although that is certainly extremely important. But sometimes the most impossible thing in our lives when we look around can feel like the person who is sitting right next to us that we are having conflict with or someone that we know, someone at work, someone in our family. Maybe it's your child. Maybe it's a relationship that you are in. And it can feel like an impossible situation and there is no peace. There, maybe there's even hostility. There's something that is wrong. And it is an incredible act that Jesus did to say that he has the capacity to bring peace into every situation. His ultimate act of peacemaking was walking toward the pain in our lives, walking towards suffering, walking towards lack, walking towards need. When everyone else was turning the other cheek in the wrong way, looking away from what was really going on. He was making peace by giving his life to bring people back to God and to each other. 
That is so important. That is another manifestation. And so as children of God, our role is to be peacemakers in a similar way. And as Jesus did, we are also called to walk towards the disconnection, to walk towards the chaos and conflict and the scary stuff that other people are like, oh, I'd rather not deal with that, right? We're actually called, that as a, as a child of God, we are compelled toward those things when other people might be repelled by them. We are pulled toward them. A peacemaker is not afraid of the darkness in the world. A peacemaker moves towards the chaos and conflict, towards the awkward conversation, towards the person with the sign on the street corner, towards the person with addiction or trapped in a personal failure, towards themselves with kindness. If you want to know who you are the most avoidant of, it is yourself. Often we're treating our other people with disconnection because we are not even connected to ourselves. And so God is calling us to make peace with ourselves by being kind and also refusing to stay stuck, embracing health. And yet, most of us are not living as peacemakers. Whether we are following the way of Jesus or whether we're considering that as a path for ourselves. The thing we often have in common, whether it's Midwestern culture or just a desire to be comfortable, we often find ourselves as peacekeepers instead of peacemakers. And it's because we actually have started to believe that the absence of conflict is what peace is. If there's no one yelling, if there's no tension, if there's nothing that's uncomfortable, then I am peaceful. If, if you are telling me something, this is one of the biggest things that's happening right now in our culture, is I, you're telling me something I don't like. I do not agree with you. That is offensive. You guys, if we are afraid of offense, how will we be peacemakers? We are to walk toward those things, to understand, to listen, to hear, to bring reconciliation and peace. If you don't like what someone is saying or doing, that is not necessarily, although at certain times it is, it's not necessarily a reason to be like, oh my gosh, and just divorce yourself of that person in, in your life. That might be something where we need to actually engage with that person. We, we really want, as a culture, to preserve civil discourse, and that is one of the highest values in our church. But this belief that peace is the absence of conflict is showing up all over our lives. And if we feel offended or we feel uncomfortable in any way, I've heard people say in the church and out, I don't feel safe. This is uncomfortable to me. And it's like, you know what? There are certain situations where we don't feel safe and we really need to pay attention to that. But we do not want to start to believe that if there is tension or conflict, that we can't move toward it because we're not safe. We have got to start using better language, you guys. Okay? We have to be willing to be offended. We have to be willing to hold these different tensions that there are people that you are sitting next to that have a totally different belief system than you good, right? We are the body of Christ. There are many ways to be a Christian and to embody the Apostles' Creed, the blood doctrine that people have died for, right? We are here to hold multiple tensions as we pursue Jesus together. And as we do that, as, as you know, somebody who is, is 
in our church, I know there's so many different expressions and I seriously love this. Sometimes after a sermon, we'll have someone come up and say um, something that, you know, it wasn't quite progressive enough. It wasn't quite liberal enough in how you um, interpreted that scripture. It wasn't quite conservative or Republican or whatever. And I'm like, yay, I'm offending everyone. And I know that sounds really ridiculous but the, yeah, because I'm not trying to be offensive. But what I'm saying is, is that I'm trying to hold multiple tensions because Jesus isn't going to make anyone happy all the time right? Isn't that interesting that it is the disruption sometimes that leads to peace? So one of the places in our, in our history uh, where the, this belief that peace is the absence of conflict, it was showing up repeatedly, was during the civil rights movement in the 1950s and 60s, and black Americans and allies were peacefully and nonviolently beginning to push back against the status quo. Hey, why do I have to sit in the back of the bus? Why will you not serve me at this, at this lunch table? Why can I not go into that room? Why do I need to have a separate drinking fountain? And as they begin to push back against the status quo and to disrupt, there was arrests, there was threats against their life. Some people were even killed for this disruption. And you know what? We could say, well, that's their fault. They could have had peace. They could have been quiet. They could have just accepted, you know, it's not all bad. But if they had not taken that stand and moved towards this, this nonviolent, peaceful, but disruptive protest to say, nope, we're not doing this anymore. We deserve to be equal. We deserve to be treated with respect. If they had not chosen that way of being mistreated and persecuted, then we would not see the progress towards justice and a greater peace, which we have seen in our country, thank God. In a sermon at Dexter Avenue Baptist Church, Dr. Martin Luther King addressed the difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking, and it was speaking to a situation that had happened very recently, and this was in 1956. It was really, really early in the civil rights movement. Things were just beginning to build in terms of tensions, and there was pushback even from the black community because there was people who were saying, hey, you're making it hard for me. I had to work really hard to have this job. I had to really work really hard to kind of like you know, smooth things out. And now there are these boycotts and these protests. You're making it hard. And there was even that pushback from within the black community. Of course, we always, we know that within the establishment, um, the white establishment, that was very true. But it was everywhere. The, The status quo had been maintained for so long. And in some ways, people were benefiting from it, even black Americans. And so we, I wanna listen into this moment from Martin Luther King Jr., where he talks about a situation that had happened and how it was handled and how it was more of a peacekeeping uh, effect than uh, peacemaking. He says, a few weeks ago, a federal judge handed down an edict which stated in substance that the University of Alabama could no longer deny admission to persons because of their race. With the handing down of this decision, a brave young lady by the name of Arthur and Lucy was accepted as the first Negro student to be admitted in the history of the University of Alabama. This was a great moment and a great decision. But with the announcement of this decision, the vanguards of the old order began to emerge. The forces of evil began to congeal. 
As soon as Arthur and Lucy walked on the campus, a group of spoiled students led by Leonard Wilson and a vicious group of criminals began threatening her on every hand. Crosses were burned, eggs and bricks were thrown at her. The mob even jumped on top of the car in which she was riding. Finally, the president and the trustees of the University of Alabama asked Arthur to leave for her safety and for the safety of the university. The next day, after Arthur was dismissed, the paper came out with this headline. Things are quiet in Tuscaloosa today. There is peace on the campus of the University of Alabama. Yes, things were quiet in Tuscaloosa. Yes, there was peace on the campus, but it was peace at a great price. It was peace that had been purchased at the exorbitant price of an inept trustee board succumbing to the whims and caprices of a vicious mob. It was peace that had been purchased at the price of allowing mobocracy to reign supreme over democracy. It was peace that had been purchased at the price of capitulating to the forces of darkness. This is the type of peace that all men of goodwill hate. It is the type of peace that is obnoxious. It is the type of peace that stinks in the nostrils of the Almighty God. In our day, in our time, in our lives, maybe you are not engaged in something that is massive like the civil rights movement. Right? We are, we've seen that kind of thing happening as we continue to see progress towards equality and peace along racial justice lines. But in our lives on a daily basis, do not think that this is just some massive thing. If you're not participating in some huge movement, that there's no room for you to make peace. It is on a daily basis, moment by moment, that we have to choose to be a peacemaker. And the obnoxious peace that Martin Luther King Jr. was talking about is the kind that maintains a harmful status quo anywhere in our lives that looks the other way while suffering continues. Obnoxious peace is when we ignore or minimize a conflict so we don't have to face its impact. An obnoxious peace is allowing an estranged relationship in our lives and not pursuing peace when it is in our power to do it. An obnoxious peace is thinking that when there are big problems like poverty or racism or food insecurity, it's so big, I can't do anything about it, I can't solve it on my own, and so we do nothing. In another speech given in 1968, Dr. King would say this concept succinctly, There can be no justice without peace, and there can be no peace without justice. So the work of making peace is to work for justice because it is to work toward making things right in the world. And this is not necessarily finding that biggest problem that you can find. It actually requires you to build a muscle. And so it is moment by moment as you're in a situation where someone in your workplace is talking about someone else and you're listening to them and the choice is to jump on board and start kind of talking about them or to say, what did that person say when you, when you brought this concern up to them? Do you think they've probably talked to that person and brought it up? Probably not, right? I remember that for me, it's, it's been very easy over the years to get sucked into drama, right? Because I, I care about people and I, I'm matching the emotion. And I remember learning this trick and people would come into my office and be talking to me about something. And I would say, what did you say when, when you brought this concern up to them? And it was like, boom, done. It was over. Because I was not going to be that person that was going to fuel this fire. I was going to redirect it and say, what have you done? Right now, if you need support, 
I'll help you, but I'm not here to feed that. And you know what? I did not do that perfectly because we never do. But the point is that we are choosing, again, moment by moment, we're building that muscle, we're building that, that reputation, that pattern in our brains that this is how I handle these kinds of things. And it is happening to us in interruptions in our day, right? I'm just sitting there doing my work and all of a sudden someone is there at my door. I can't plan for this. I can't prepare for this. I'm making a choice and I'm asking myself, what would a peacemaker do in this situation? What does making peace, not keeping peace, look like right now? That is a tool that you can take with you. What does making peace look like right now? And sometimes it is not glorious. Sometimes it doesn't completely transform the situation at hand, but it is a position that you take and it's a muscle that you are building. And let me tell you, it is always the opposite of avoidance. It is always a turning toward the person who is experiencing the conflict, turning toward the need. It's turning toward the pain with grace and confidence and with patience. So even though we know what to do, maybe you guys are like, yeah, that sounds right. Yep. I agree. Let's make things right. Let's uh, work for justice. Yes, I like peace. I'm cool with all that. The issue is that we are scared, right? We don't do this because we are scared. We don't do this because as soon as you confront somebody with something that is going on or you hold someone accountable or you say that thing like, what did you say when you, you know, that you and that person talked and how did that go? And they look at you, right? Like they wanted something different from you. They wanted different support from you and you are not giving it to them and they're disappointed and they might be like emotionally cutting you off. Or if you go to someone to try to restore relationship, they might reject you. You guys, do you know how much we hate rejection? We really hate it. We hate disappointment, so we don't like hope. And we hate rejection, and so we rarely want to put ourselves out there. This stuff is so scary, you guys. There is a really good reason why we are not moving towards conflict and pain. So how do we deal with this, right? So we have the tool, how can I be a peacemaker in this situation? What does making peace look like for me right here, right now, right? That tool is there. And, and there's a little bit of accessing Holy Spirit in that moment, right? The Holy Spirit is in us as Christians, as believers. And so we're accessing that with that question. But the other thing is that often we feel like we have to be the solution. I remember as a new therapist, um, as I was starting to see clients and I, was, I had this really amazing <laughs> supervisor, I would feel so anxious when I had a client sitting across from me, which is hilarious and ironic, okay? Because this person is like probably feeling anxious and maybe depressed or having something going on. And here I am and I am, they're bringing their problem to me and I think that I have to solve it. I have to reach into my like gigantic therapist treatment modality tool bag and be like, here, let me help you with my cognitive behavioral magic. And then when you leave, you're going to be like, oh, I'm so much better. Sarah helped me. Sarah saved me. I really felt like it was my responsibility to help heal this person. And so every single time I'm sitting down with another client, it was like so much anxiety. You can imagine how much pressure. And then day after day after day after day, so many clients all day long, it was so stressful until my therapist said, Sarah, you're not there to fix them. 
And I was like, no, but I am. So here's my situation. And I kept trying to explain that to her. She's like, no, you are not, you're there to build a relationship with them. She's like, the restoration, the repair comes through, primarily through the relationship. Yes, the treatment modalities, all that, that's part of it. But it's that relationship, the trust that you're building that bridge, that they know that you are for them. That is what brings the healing and restoration. It was like, whoop, it flipped And so that is the exact same principle that we are taking out into the world is we are not necessarily saying, do I have all the the tools? Do I have everything I need to fix this person's problem, to solve this relationship, to deal with this huge societal issue, right? That's not necessarily what's happening. But we are remembering that we are not in and of ourselves solely the solution, that what you're bringing is is your competence, but you're bringing Jesus first and foremost, you're bringing Jesus and you're bringing Holy Spirit into the room and he, he might not have been there before, right? If you are a believer, if you are a Christian and the Holy Spirit is inside of you, there's a lot of rooms where you're walking in and, and it's like you're bringing the power of the Holy Spirit, his insight, his peace, all the things that he does, the fruit of the Spirit. You're bringing that with you. You're smuggling him in. You're giving this room, this conflict, this situation a chance that it might not have had. And so you're walking in to chaos with confidence because it's not just up to you. Now, here's an important caveat, okay? You are not, this does not give you a license to like run into every burning building in every situation and every huge conflict and be like, I'm a peacemaker, I'm a Christian, here I am. Okay, I'm here to solve all your problems, right? You need to be skilled and you need to be called, my mom, when I was a, a young social justice advocate in my teen years and uh, I was in youth ministry and things, my mom would say to me, because I would be so frazzled all the time, all these needs coming at me, and it was definitely my job to fix them and solve them. And she would say, the need is not the call. So did I just unsay everything that I just said? No, we're all called to be peacemakers, but we are all called to different things. We are all called to different spaces. You have your own sphere of influence, your own circle of relationships in which you are implementing peace. You are making peace where you are. That is your job. And so if you are called to be a peacemaker as an adoptive parent or working in social services or as an attorney or someone who's practicing medicine or you're called into combat, that is a very unique skill set. If you're called to be a therapist, you have to go to a lot of years of schooling for that. Same with medicine, right? You don't get to act like you know what you're doing if you don't know what you're doing. Be skilled, be called right? But if you are not called and you are not skilled, you still are responsible. No one is off the hook. There is something uncomfortable in your life that you might be avoiding right now. And that is the place that God is drawing you to make peace. And sometimes, you guys, that starts internally with our own selves. It starts internally, not so much by going, okay, I got to go reach out to that person. Sometimes that's an impossible situation. Sometimes that person might not even be alive anymore. And so we are making peace in ourselves with God first, and then we are making peace with people because that is what Jesus did on the cross. So we are called, as Isaiah 61 says, the mission that was Jesus's mission is now our mission. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me and on you. The Lord has anointed you to preach good news to the poor. He has sent you to bind up the brokenhearted. He has sent you to comfort those who mourn. 
provide for those who grieve, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. That is our collective mission, and we are all responsible for it as the children of God. So what do we do about this? What are some next steps? The first one is simply, is Jesus even in your life making peace? Do you even have the option to to access the peace of Jesus and of Holy Spirit? The peace that Jesus made on the cross, that he made you right with God, he made you right with people, he made you right with yourself and with the earth, right? The cross, right? People, God, yourself, and the earth. That is what Jesus did on the cross. He made peace, and maybe you haven't accessed that yet. And so I would invite you to invite Jesus into your heart, into your life, and to make peace with God. Invite Jesus to make peace for you. If you are following Jesus... And you have uncertainty, you have chaos, you have trouble in your life. I would encourage you to invite Jesus into your chaos. Maybe if you even close your eyes right now or later on, you can see Jesus approaching you and you can see in his eyes that he's not judging you. He's walking towards the mess with confidence. He's not afraid, he's not surprised, and he has what he needs to help you. He's not overwhelmed by your problem. Okay, you might be, you might be surprised by your problem, he's not. He can come into the chaos with confidence. And if you are sensing in yourself that there is an opportunity to move towards an area of discomfort, right? To set aside offense and to move with courage towards pain, towards suffering. Maybe something is God is calling you to restore, to make peace, right? Instead of avoiding, instead of just, you know, allowing false peace to remain, God invites us to turn toward each other. And so that invitation is extended to you today. And so I want to close with the blessing of the peacemakers, okay? Now, some of you are like, uh, you know exactly. When I first, when I was thinking about the blessing of the peacemakers, I had a few uh, roles in mind. It made sense that maybe pastors or parents or teachers or people in social services would be peacemakers. But I realized that, again, as I'm the one preaching this message, getting to the end, going, wait a minute, aren't we all called, right? Maybe some of us are wrestling with this. And so I'd like you to stand for the blessing of the peacemakers, because no matter what you are in, no matter what situation or role you are in, I want to invite you to choose to be a peacemaker. So... If you want to put out your hands, I like to do that. It kind of just like, it's a physical sign of acceptance. That may be something you want to do here as I bless you. This is from number 622. We've heard this before. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And may you carry that peace with you into every corner of the world where you go. Worship team, you can come on up. I'm gonna pray for us. Lord, thank you for this call to make peace. Lord, it's actually really empowering because so many times we come into these situations where it's like, oh my goodness, I don't know what to do here. And we're wringing our hands and it feels like it's just easier to not go there. But Lord, you are calling us into those places and where you call us, Lord, you equip us, you train us, you, you allow us to have the tools that we need. And sometimes it is simply to just be present, to just carry your peace into that space, into that situation. 
And so God, we ask that today you would make peacemakers out of all of us, that you would cause us to make peace first with you, to accept Jesus's peace that he made for us on the cross, to invite the peace of Jesus into the chaos of our own lives, and that we would carry that peace with us everywhere we go in Jesus' name. Amen. This teaching was recorded by Tallgrass at the Well. We're building community together by inviting people into the way of Jesus. For more resources like this, visit tallgrassatthewell.church.